Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Art of Awesome show number 194. So my framework is underpinning these three pillars that we see really change the game because once you're good at something or once you're good in your craft and you've got the skill there it's no longer more technical skill that's gonna really change and improve your game a lot of the time what it's coming down to is the the internal world the mental Mm -hmm. and the emotional game and what's between your ears that's gonna kind of make the difference there and so this is kind of where I come down to of what were what are the three pillars? What's the art of sustainable high performance? Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Art of Awesome podcast. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. And today, we definitely have some secret sauce to success sprinkled in here. Today, I got to sit down and talk with Susanna Kindred. She is a performance and mindset coach, as well as a clinical psychologist, a speaker and presenter. And we just had an amazing conversation about the three pillars to high performance and flow state and compassion. It was really, gosh, I I could have talked with her for hours, being that I was just gaining so much. You can definitely tell uh, talking with her, her clinical psychology background really just kind of like flows into the conversation as I definitely felt at times like I was, uh, I don't know, being questioned like a, by a, a psychologist, uh, going deep into thoughts and questioning my myself, my actions, my past. But again, a truly incredible conversation as she talks about mindfulness and being in the moment as well as harnessing our emotions and bringing compassionate drive. So very, very excited to share this conversation with you guys. I think you will all gain a ton of value, whether you're seeking higher performance in athletics, in business, in relationships, in parenting, no matter what it is, this conversation will give you some nuggets of gold that will help you with ever help you reach higher performance in whatever it is that you seek. So let's wait no longer and jump right into it. Here is Susanna Kindred. First off, Susanna, welcome to the Art of Awesome podcast. I'm really stoked to have you here and have you on the show today. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. So you are a performance and mindset coach, a keynote speaker and master of clinical psychology which I'm really excited to kind of dive into all of this with you. And we actually met uh, during the Flow State Conference this past year as we both sat on the panel together talking about Flow State and all sorts of really cool stuff that hopefully we can dive into a little bit as well. Um, Offline, you had mentioned uh, that one of your secret sauces to crushing your goals is... Um, is compassionate drive. And I thought maybe we could just go ahead and dive right into this and maybe you can explain a little bit about um, about compassion as a whole and how you think it can help with uh, with achieving goals or flow or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, should I dive in? Well, I, okay. May, hold on. Maybe maybe we'll start with with a little bit. I usually you're right. I, I'm I'm getting a little off uh, ahead of myself here. How about how about we start off with telling me a little bit of your story and getting into clinical psychology and getting into the flow state and uh, how you go from clinical psychologist into performance and mindset coach. My background, so my background is in kind of corporate well-being and clinical psychology. And I had been running my own practice and working with a lot of 
high performers, high achievers, lots of many successful people who are actually time and time again getting to the brink of burnout. Um, yes, maybe successful, but not actually loving life, not having a lot of freedom in their life. And through my work there and also in my interest in high performance, what I found time and time again were these constant themes and relatively minor tweaks about what they could do in their lives that gave them a lot of freedom back in their life, their personal life, like they're actually thriving internally, but also then they were showing up in their career or their craft with, you know, so much more and, and able to excel from there. So I suppose through working in that space for over a decade, that's what transformed my work into the coaching side where it's a little bit more on the front foot to help people kind of get to that place where it's the, the better version of themselves, essentially. Hmm. So that's a little bit of my background around the kind of clinical psychology into the coaching. So a lot of my work is integrating still a lot of the training about the science of human behavior and flourishing, but now integrating that with more interest around the science of flow and compassion-based success, lots of acceptance and mindfulness training, and then kind of more performance coaching strategy and performance psychology. So it's a really nice soup of a lot of things there. And that's kind of where I got to where I am. I love that. And I love how you worded it where it's almost like you're, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you said this or maybe I just interpreted this, but where you said you're getting more onto your, like your front foot in the sense that, that like, um, maybe the psychology would be more in a defensive, uh, like helping, whereas, um, coaching might be in maybe more of an, I, I don't know if offensive is the right way of thinking of it, but do you, these are the terms coming into my mind of like, okay, I can get ahead of it this way versus like trying to fix something, uh, later on. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. That's a huge motivation because typically these people who I have in my mind who are a little bit of my, um, you know, my ground zero type of stuff, they're 20 years of struggling with this. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and hey, let's not struggle for 20 years if we can lay the foundations earlier on. So that, I like yeah, that. It's more Interesting. Rather than reactive. Yeah. And this is, again, totally um, redirecting and going off on a side tangent here. Do you think that um, as coaching, I don't even know if, if I would say the term coaching is is kind of growing now more than ever, because obviously we've had a lot of coaches over the years, but it's it's oh, that term anyway is definitely more of a, in my mind, in the past, more of an athletic focus, uh, where now you see um, mindfulness coaches, business coaches, life coaches, all this, all this stuff that people are now just uh, recognizing like, hey, maybe I could get uh, you know, a second set of eyes or ears on this project or on, on my goals or on whatever to help kind of make sure that I'm on the right path in the first place. Uh, and, and I like, again, what you're saying, like on that front foot, like staying ahead of any issues then versus like, oh, I've got all these years of, you know, issues that I'm trying to redirect, uh, or, or fix or whatever. Um, do you think that the world is kind of moving more in that direction where, maybe the psychology will will kind of like yeah start coaching versus fixing past issues yeah i think like and you're right it's definitely not new um but i think more and more there's areas around positive psychology and this idea of personal development and i've got actually so much more access across the world now to look at this shared insight and research about what actually helps me not to just fall into my old patterns, but to be my best self. But I will say, this is a so totally other conversation, so let's not go down this track, but I will say, I think it's important to vet your coaches because mm. the other thing about the coaching industry booming is is that there's some not so good stuff happening there. Right. So it's good to vet, vet your coaches. But um, yeah, it's a good thing in general that we've got more access to having people in our lives that, help us to be the best version of ourselves, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it also just like thinking again, I guess thinking out loud more than anything, um, it almost helps 
the human race elevate itself in all aspects, whether it again be in athletics, uh, whether it be, you know, in, in business and in flow and whatever it is that you're kind of trying to do, the more coaches that we have and the more knowledge available to improve, obviously, the more that we're able to then improve and take those steps forward. And so it's like, it's um, no shock that, you know, we're we're reaching higher numbers in, in any aspect that you could think of, like name a field and we're breaking new ground. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And I think, I mean, that's what I found so interesting about the integration of what is coaching strategy and the performance psychology and high performance kind of research out there with the clinical psychology, because what I've found is a lot of this stuff time and time again, that could a, ameliorate and better some of the things that were struggles were the key pillars and foundations for what the high performers used to like get to that incremental stage of of bettering themselves and getting to that top percentage and that kind of thing so my framework is underpinning these three pillars that we see really change the game because once you're good at something or once you're good in your craft and you've got the skill there it's no longer more technical skill that's going to really change and improve your game. A lot of the time what it's coming down to is the, the internal world, the mm-hmm. mental and the emotional game and what's between your ears that's going to kind of make the difference there. And so this is kind of where I come down to of what were what are the three pillars? What's the art of sustainable high performance? And that's kind of where, where we got to. I love that. And ironically, I was just talking with uh... – with another friend of mine about this today where he's he's a professional athlete uh professional kayaker been on the podium with me for i don't know many many times and he never really retired but he kind of like took a step back and you know life happens and he was doing some other things and now he's coming back with with a focus uh for the world championships this year and we were we were discussing that with the foundation of skills that he has, he's, he was saying that he's like, you know, I'm, I'm in better shape than I've ever been. Uh, I'm eating healthier and, and all these different things. And, and the idea of, of how much in the past, maybe I thought it was more, um, physical and, and technical. And now I'm starting to realize, you know, over however many, almost yeah, two decades of, of competing that it's like, way more of a of um a holistic approach in the sense that it's not just the technical skills. Yeah, sure, you need the technical skills if you want to be the best at anything, right? But there are a lot of people out there that have the technical skills. You need the technical skills, you need the 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 mental skills, the the mental bandwidth um you know in a lot of almost everything in life you want to have like a healthy body because that affects the mind as well and anyway it was just very much of a, a holistic thing so he was telling me how um how he was almost uh considering it as somewhat of an experiment to say like oh i wonder how much you know i haven't been paddling i wonder how i'm going to do um with all with elevating these other areas of my life without the technical you know constant uh training so we'll see we'll see how it goes yeah yeah yeah. and you know i i love the language that you just used there of let's see as an experiment so um one of the things i really like is this idea of what are the what are what are the characteristics or attributes that help me to do that high performance so yet once i've got the technical skills what helps me to have the grit to go to this highest goal and to keep Mm -hmm. trying in the face of failure and to wonder whether i'm in over my head but hey i'm going to try anyway and it's that idea of the art of curiosity Mm. it's an experiment you know where we're not really we all want better outcomes yes but maybe it's not focusing on the outcome it's focusing on the internal world the internal state the process and and i think this i actually was talking about it with a client this week too this idea of how can we just see it as an experiment because then you're not if you if you go all in and it doesn't work out well there's no, there's no cost to me because it's been an experiment that's just mm. data now in the bank that i can just reflect on there i love that term and that that idea because um that's actually something that i've been personally i don't know if struggling is the word i would use but um contemplating 
Like just so again, and I'm going to just, you know, say this out to the world. Most people probably know it because the world championships are happening this year. One of my goals was to like win the world championships, but then I'm trying to think of like, okay, if I was to not win the world championships, then, um, is that a success or a failure? Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and trying to figure out where success lies or what the definition of success is in the sense that like, if my goal is to win the world championships, therefore anything other than first place is a failure. And I'm thinking like, well, that's not exactly, yeah, in my heart of hearts, I'm like, ah, that's, that's not really what I mean. Like I, I and so it's more of like, uh, I want to excel to be my best. Or I want to be, I want to, maybe I want to train to be what I think a world champion performance might look like or something along that lines. Like I'm again, still, uh, clearly, um, brainstorming what this exactly yeah, looks like. Brainstorm um, it. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's but both, I, can I, sorry. can I put to yeah. you that it's both and mm. so what I mean is, I mean, of course, that's a great, we need goals. We need clear goals to, to help us want to achieve them but we also your listeners won't be able to see this because i'm gonna do it with my hands but if i'm I'm holding a bottle of water for people who can not see me and what we want to do is actually not cling on to this goal so tightly that i'm like wrapping my hands around it holding it to my body putting all my effort into clinging to it Mm -hmm. but we also don't want to push away that goal like it's too big better not focus on it because now all my effort is on pushing it away what we want to find a way is how we can just hold it lightly, hold that goal lightly, not cling to it too tightly, not push it away. So it's both and I'm going to win the world champions championship and success to me is that I know within my controllables that I've dedicated my training and my mindset that it's one of the best. So what, you know, how do I hold both? And it's both and. So I don't think it's not to hold that as the goal. It's how do I hold it lightly, lightly mm-hmm. enough to then come back to the process and to set me up for exactly as you said, like I want to get to the end of it with the championship and I also want to get it to the end of it knowing that I've succeeded within myself and my controllables. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love just the visual of you also holding that because you make it look effortless. Do you know what I mean? Where you're yeah. like, it's, it's, uh, you're holding it, you're holding the goal, but effortlessly, like, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I also just like how you're saying I'm not gripping it or, or trying to strangle it and I'm not pushing it away. Just, just holding it. It's there. I'm, I'm aware it's there. Wow. We, we've gone totally on a whole side story of like me trying to win the world championships. This is amazing. You, you're coaching. You're, you're like, uh, I don't know. Your coaching has just, crept in and and fully taken over my mind at the moment this is this is amazing i love it i love it so so, so how you, about yes, okay no, you no, go. no no i want to hear what you were about to say first i was gonna say because we'll we'll come around in circles what what i always thought would be good how about i tell you a little bit about some of the three pillars because we're already mapping onto them a little Perfect. bit which just kind of shows that they're a bit intrinsic like these mm-hmm. pillars make sense and it, it's actually what came out when we we're in the flow conference and and to give you some insight about what my experience was when we were on that panel together, you know, everyone is there as a world champion athlete and I'm like, here I am as a coaching clinical psychologist with, you know, I, I have never kayaked in <laughs> uh, an elite situation, but, but it's universal. We had the mm-hmm. same themes coming around to what, what we found was sustainable high performance. And we're, me- you know, this is the whole thing. It's, it's meshing the world together. So the three pillars, and I'll kind of break it down one by one and hopefully we can go through that. So the first one, actually, this is a little bit off track, but reminds us what we've been talking about. We know that when we've got high standards, when we're a high achiever, when you've got a lot on your plate, and this is kind of how we started our conversation, it's going to be easy to go from the next thing to the next thing. I nail one thing. I want to get to the next thing. You know, I'm in that constant doing mode. I'm seeking better. I'm seeking more. And one of the pillars, and where I start with in my coaching as well, is grounding down in getting in contact with the present and building our attention training and our awareness training to really get in contact with the present moment, build that ability to switch off from the autopilot of my doing mode so I can get back into my being mode. 
Mm-hmm. And there are kind of two impacts around that when we can train that first pillar. And I think one is that we're just more grounded in living and in being a human and, you know, we're not in the reality we wish we were in and struggling with that. We're in the reality we are in. That's the present, not the future and not the past. And as we were just talking about, it's our human desire to cling to whatever is comfortable and to cling to what we want and to push away what's uncomfortable. I hate the idea of failing. We push away and we get controlled by, you know, these very things that we're trying to avoid. So mindfulness and the attention training and awareness training as the first pillar is how we really make sure we're not spending so much of our energy in our mind, in our doing mode, in the past or the future, but in the stuff that we can control in the present. And and the second reason why this is crucial is not just because it improves our lives and our well-being, but also because it's crucial in those performance moments or what I call our choice point moments, you know, our real um, critical and crucial moments um, where if there are external situations that are going to throw us off course, we want to be really aware and tune our spotlight of attention to be able to really not get hooked on those freeze moments or what if I fail but stay in flow. And so that's mm. why our first pillar is, is so important. It really sets the stage for creativity and innovation and you know powerful work and play when we're in contact with the present moment. So that's kind of our, our first so, so pillar one, we're focusing on being in, in the present, in the moment, um, easier said than done sometimes, uh, or at least for me, maybe, maybe again, this is the like ADD talking or, or whatever. Um, but I, I am aware that I need to live in the moment. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I actually like, I, I'm conscious of this and I, and I actively try to be in the moment as much as possible in my sport, in my parenting, in my relationships. Um, and you know, whether it be work or social media or whatever it is, or even just like at an event, just like the, uh, not chaos, but the, like the buzz and the distraction that's kind of going on at all the different times, or maybe even just like the distraction of, of, um, another athlete's performance, uh, different things like that. Like how, do we best calm the mind and, and get back into the current moment? Because the beauty about the current moment in my mind anyway, is that it's a constant thing. Like if, if you were like, Oh, I just made a mistake. Well, no, it's a new moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, and and it's a new moment now too. And now, and now, and so like there, it's just always a new moment. And so how you can kind of like refocus on the exact now and the being versus like, 10 seconds ago, five seconds ago, 10 minutes ago. Um, I don't know. So do you have any like uh, helps, tips, tricks? Tip, yeah. yeah. And I really love the way you said, you know, every moment is new. And I was actually listening to someone the other day who had that same idea that I've never been me in this body, in this moment, on this day. Mm. Yeah. Every opportunity we can learn something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I have been, since I first led a mindfulness group, actually, in, in anxiety, uh, yeah, anxiety and mood is where I was first introduced to mindfulness. So again, that's more on the treatment side. I've been in practice with mindfulness for over 10 years and I am still really clear that I'm not a mindfulness guru. You know, it's a, it's a fair amount of time to be practicing at it. And I, you know, I don't experience that like secret Zen. This is always going to be easy for me. So I, I also don't feel like I've unclicked that super ability to always be in the moment. And yet I will keep it on my radar. I will always go through it. Even if, you know, people are like, oh, I don't do mindfulness. It doesn't have to be mindfulness. It's just some kind of attention training, some kind of more non judgmental presence. Because if I don't do that, I know for myself. I'm going to go with my reactions. I'm going to go into autopilot. I'm going to lose my curiosity enough to really slow down. And if I don't do, yeah, if I do do the mindfulness thing, I've got so much more choice. And you're right, like in all those situations that you mentioned, that's where being more in contact with the present is going to benefit us. My, I have two little ways that I try to make sure I just, it's like just training my muscle of attention. I don't know if I'm ever going to train enough to just for it to be automatic for me, but I've got two ways that I will just keep 
myself in that training mode for my attention. Mm-hmm. One is actually in the shower. That is the place where I really would love to just experience the shower and not be in my meeting the next day, not be in my training the day, you know, not be in whatever's coming for me the next day. I just want to experience the shower and not miss out on my shower. So that's actually my place where I can just notice I can never be in the shower for more than about 30 seconds before my mind gets away from me. It's really, it can be frustrating. So that's my cue actually, where I know that I'm training my attention, drop my thoughts, come back into it. And that's like my little anchor for my day for how I train my attention. It's the one thing I just don't want to miss out on just by the fact of being somewhere else. So that's one is I have an anchor for where I can just do a little bit of awareness training. And the other thing I just really like is the idea of finding little things where you can treat it as though it's something brand new and like you've never, ever done it before. So you bring this like little lens of being a scientist, of um, yeah, being a real observer to something. And it could just be in a moment, like you could be picking up a sandwich, like, wow, look at how my hands pick up this sandwich. Like I've never seen this before. Wow, look at how it directs it right in towards my mouth. What am I noticing? Oh, what notice how my tongue moves out of the way as I chew you know what would it what would I notice if I treated this little act even just for 30 seconds as the very first time I've ever encountered this and Mm -hmm. what would I notice about it and you're kind of just describing it to yourself as though you know you're making a record it's like you're David Attenborough watching this happen and you're you're observing it so that's actually my other little thing because it just helps me to do that thing of observing something non-judgmentally and just getting curious about it. And every now and then I really like this idea of, okay, you know, I've been in autopilot all day. What would happen if this next minute was the very, I'm I'm doing this for the very first time. So that's my other little mini thing for, hey, what's a little trick to to train that awareness training? I love both of those. I love the idea of, uh, you know, using your shower as almost like a, like a, like a training ground to, to train focus. Um, because it, it, it's so true. I heard, um, recently about, you know, showers and, and, and just, uh, creative thought and ideas and stuff like that. And, and the idea that because in the shower, it's so much of, um, muscle memory, we always go in the shower and we wash and we regularly have the same routine and there's not many distractions that go on in the shower. So therefore it like turns on this like muscle memory and, almost in, in, you know, some ways, like it may be even at like a light flow state in the sense that it's just the subconscious taking over. Um, and, and I like how you're, you're training yourself, like, no, I'm going to stay, I'm going to like stay in the, in the present instead of let that mind wander. Uh, interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to try And I that. still probably have to do it about 50 or a hundred times, but that's your magic mindfulness moment is when you've noticed that you've gone back off track and like, you know, yeah. thinking about the kids that are running down the hallway and whatever they're doing. And then, oh, yeah, there I am. And here I want to be. And that's your that's when you're training the muscle is when you've noticed where you are and kind of dropping it back in. Yeah. And and just hearing hearing how you're explaining that, too. And, and just I haven't heard it been like just the term mindfulness. You know, I haven't heard it explained so much as like really just um, training attention you know what I mean? Uh, and, and really when I, when I think about you talk about, you know, 10 years of practice and you're still working on it or, or hearing different, you know, yogis talk about it and, and one, everyone is always working on it. I've never once heard anybody, no matter their level say, Oh, I've mastered mindfulness because I don't think that's quite possible. First of all. Uh, and second of all, um, you hear a lot of like in yoga, for instance, like they talk about, you know, the breath. And I, I've always kind of wondered sometimes like, what? yeah, we're breathing and I get it like whatever. And, and, and I, and I do, I do find breathing, um, you know, helps me focus and stuff like that. But, but I never thought of it in the sense that like, no, I'm really just trying to train my attention and that the breath is like just a way to focus on something that is in the present. Uh, Interesting. I don't know. You're, you've just connected some dots in, in my mind that I was like, huh, I, I never thought of that before. So, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I really like the, the person who I've really come across is John Kabat-Zinn, who's quite well known in the mindfulness world. And I think he was the one who used that idea of 
how often do we miss out on our experience of the shower because your mind is somewhere else? And I was like, mm. yeah, okay, that really hooked in for me. Um, great, good. I'm glad that it, it clicks a little bit. And, and I even notice sometimes my own urge to not use the mindfulness word because of how quickly, I think it's so used nowadays that we like mm. internal eye roll and we immediately don't really <laughs> want to dive into it. And yeah. so um, I do, I think it's nice to kind of just remember, oh, this is just, me getting a different experience from my autopilot mode and also why is this crucial and like i said those two elements one is it's it's great for our well-being our stress just being able to enjoy our life because that's what we're living in the moment but the other thing is it's crucial when it's going to get caught up with us in our in our performance moments and our choice point mm. okay so pillar one have i gotten this correct then pillar one we've got we're building a base foundation of of attention and being present in the moment Yes. And the other part is that that's also going to help us to be more agile and more flexible. So what I mean by that is you're operating in the reality you are in, not the reality you wish you were in. Mm. There's an element of agility that we're, we're, you know, building and training there as our pillar. And the second one, so if that's getting in contact, our second pillar that we look at, and, and this is kind of a process that I take people through too, our second pillar is getting in charge. And what I mean by that is developing the emotional and mental mastery skills to help us kind of, um, again, flip the switch from our usual patterns of operating and the humanness elements that can kind of flood us and take us over from our emotional mind to really get in charge. So this is the reason why I talk about both mindset and emotions is because they're related but different. You know, it's the mindset work, no doubt, it's incredibly important. But it's, it's also important to acknowledge it's not just think one way and, and feel differently. You know, sometimes your feelings will flood you first or your biology is going to get to you and put you in a threat state before you can even think through it. So we really need to train the emotional skills that help us to really stay regulated and really get in the zone. Um, and so we're working with our biology as well. It's a bit top down and bottom up so that we can really stay in the zone and be at, be at our best. Hmm. So that's... That's the second one. So how do we, I, I mean, I've got some ideas already, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you're kind of um, almost like harnessing or training your biology to, to kind of like stay in control there. Yeah. And look, I mean, you know, with all the like biohackers and everything, you could probably talk about this in so many ways. And, and with your friend who you're talking about, like he's, it's, it's diet and it's exercise, but Really what I'm also just kind of looking at in this part is, yes, those foundations, but I, I actually just want to educate people about the role of our emotional state and all of the different emotions that you're going to experience as a human. You know, no matter, again, whether you're at your peak, you're still going to be human. You're going to experience mm -hmm. rage and jealousy and enjoyment and frustration and, um, you know, happiness. You're going to experience all of those. And all of our emotions, um, I, I wish I could kind of draw out a really nice bell curve for the people who are listening. All of your emotions will come up and down in a wave. And what we kind of want to, again, and this is why it's related to the first pillar of awareness, we want to be able to spot where we are on that wave so that we know it's going to come back down. So emotion regulation and the ability to really get a lot of emotional mastery, we want to increase our ability to stay on that wave of discomfort of emotional intensity or emotional overwhelm and figure out how not to just drop off for the sake of comfort but really stay with that emotion before making things worse before really going with it and until the wave comes back down and and this is part of kind of regulating our emotional state so yeah i think a big part of it is still that we're just acknowledging that we're going to be human you know you're going to have these emotional waves but we want to be aware enough for how to how to ride them um and there are a few things that you can do to manage it you know you mentioned breathing before breathing is a really big one for how we can anchor the the biology the fight or flight state back into our rest or digest state and sometimes it's also just making sure we're doing the opposite to what we feel like doing you know all of our emotions will come with urges if you're you know, freaking out and getting really critical on yourself, the urge will be to punish yourself and bully yourself, you know, and really get down mm -hmm. on it. So the opposite action there is to make sure you stay kind. 
And so we've got to do some opposite action as well to regulate our emotions and really regulate a more positive emotional state. Hmm. Um, I love. I know this. This this one's a bit deeper, isn't it? No, it's. I I love it. It's amazing, and and I, I love how you're explaining that, regardless of whether where we're at in that even bell curve of high performance, um, that we're all still human. Whether you're, you know, Elon Musk or or uh, Michael Jordan or whoever, name a top athlete in any or or top you know high performer in any field each one of us is all still human and it 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 uh the idea that we're still going to feel those human urges or emotions in all different aspects regardless if you're a top performer or not i don't know that just it it uh it hit a little different in my mind i was like hi oh, didn't even really think about that i'm i'm thinking that like okay if i'm going to be a high performer i'm going to you know push push the um, unwanted emotions to the side. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so I don't need rage. I don't need, uh, you know, yeah, I'm jealousy, um, whatever. It's like, okay, I'm just going to stay focused on, you know, I I want the joy. I want excitement. I want like the, you know, the good things. Um, But the fact that we're human and that, that all of it comes regardless and that we need to figure out how and to best, deal with them as we, as you know, cause that's just going to be part of life and to know, to ride through it. And I also really like how you're saying, um, sometimes we need the opposite when, when you want to self punish yourself, which we all do, um, for, for a mistake or failure or whatever you might deem, um, that, that it's maybe what you need to do is do the opposite and say like, okay, forgive yourself love yourself, uh, and move on and, and, and accept it. Do you know what I mean? And, and just next step forward, we're back into the moment, which is now a new moment. Um, I don't know that, that, that's amazing. I I really like that. At first, when you were talking about kind of, um, harnessing, uh, emotion, my, the, the first thought that went into my mind was, um, something that I do again for, for competition state of mind is, uh, it's easy for me. And I imagine other people to get anxious because you're at this high level where, you know, whether it be the buzz of the crowd and the lights and the judges and the music and all the stuff that's going on, or whether it be the fact that it's, you know, years of training, you know, put into this moment or whatever it is that there's like anxiety that's going on. Right. And, and each and every one of us probably feels anxious in one way or another. Um, but the fact that that like anxiety or that anxious feeling is, is so similar, it's almost identical to excitement that you can just like switch in your mind and be like, no, 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 I'm not anxious. I'm excited. And you can like convince yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, 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 it's not this emotion that I'm feeling. It's this whole other emotion. Uh, that like, that was kind of at first what I thought you were thinking of, but, but, uh, and maybe that, you know, might have a part of it, but I also like the idea that, that whatever emotion it is that we're feeling that we can also just kind of ride through it too. Um, I don't know. It's really cool. I, 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 I don't know if it's the fact that um, maybe it's my masculinity that I just therefore don't even want to talk about emotions and I like suppress that I even have them. Um, but, uh, but it's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, just emotions and, and the awareness of them as the second pillar. Cause at first I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have that. I'm, I, I don't deal with those. <laughs> They're like, oh no, I really, maybe I need to deal with them way more than I, than I think I do. Hey, I want to applaud your your own awareness and self reflection in that moment for kind of figuring figuring out. You, okay, you just did your own mindfulness. Oh, this is where I noticed where I went. This is what I noticed came up. How about I voice that, and then at least I can you know work through that. And you're right. And 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 actually, I I still think that part of you that's like, let me use the power of language to see that everything that's going on on in my body is so close to excitement. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's still fantastic. Um, and here's the thing. If you're trying to push away all your negative emotion states, our brain doesn't distinguish between those. So we're going to end up also pushing away positive emotion states. You know, our brain does not have 
that switch where it can only switch off and push away negatives. It's not, our brain is not kind of diluted in that way or diverted in that way. So, and, and suppression, we've got heaps of good research around the impact of suppression on things like performance, on things like well-being, on things like concentration, um, on the fact that it actually tends to amplify that negative emotion that you're trying to push away. So there's lots of good reasons why we want to not just try and regulate positive emotions, but regulate and and help us to yeah get used to it and get more mastery over our negative emotions. Mm. I've got lots of work to do now. You're you're bringing up all sorts of things where I'm like, man, I need to I need to focus and train there a little bit in, in a whole different uh, in a whole different level. This um, is a classic high performer in you of being like, ooh, there's something I can get better at. Let's get better at it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll see. Um, okay, so so the second part of that second pillar is there's the emotion mastery, and then the other part is the mindset mastery. So the rule, the cognitive. This is the cognitive neuros, neuroscience stuff. We want more metacognitive skills to think about our thinking, train the ways that we know we can get caught up in shortcuts. Um, you know, negative biases. Our brain is often wired towards the negative, and so we want to be really aware just as you were before about the power of language and our thoughts. And there are a couple of, I call the one that I, um, the thing that I'm training here is this idea of developing a purposeful mindset. And there are a couple of nice ingredients. So one of them is optimism. Just, I mean, you know, it's still the positive side. It's still training that part of you that can look for the best and look for that and focus on our competence, what I can do, what I can win at, what I've been good at, what I've been excelling at and growing at. So, we, yeah, we want to train the optimism and competence. That's a, that's a really good ingredient, having a purposeful mindset. We also want what's called an internal locus of control, where, again, we're really... Um, honing in on our ability to affect change, that I can show up, that I can make choices. This is within my control. This is what I, again, looking at what I can do. And a a nice key ingredient around high performance is sustaining high performance is not getting hooked into the things that are unchangeable or feeling powerless to those, but reminding ourselves of our ability to make changes, you know, honing in on our internal locus of control. And then the other part around our purposeful mindset is, like we've been mentioning, balancing that brain's tendency towards the negative and knowing, getting to know the shortcuts your brain will make and particularly in these kind of intense anxiety moments. You know, it might be how we're focusing on failures or what's gone wrong or what's too big for me or what's insurmountable or what's unfair or what I deserve based on how hard I've trained so far. And, and kind of looking at how we can get in our own way if we're holding our thoughts too tightly. And so kind of rewiring mm. and working on some of the mindset stuff. And I think, look, I think this this one is a bit more well-known that we know we have to train some of our thinking. Yep. And and I, I might ask you, Nick, if you can share a little bit, if you can think about one of the best performances that you have in your mind. And it doesn't mm-hmm. even have to be in kayaking. It could just be another scenario where you just felt like you showed up as your best and gave your best in your ability and when you reflect on it what i want to know if you can you know try and hold a scenario in mind was it what what was it that made the difference for you that made it feel like it was one of your best performances ever or one of your best ways that you showed up ever you know was it physical is that what made the difference or was it mental uh mental with without it without a doubt with i mean it with yeah without a doubt now let me clarify that without the physical, the mental would never have gotten there. You know what I mean? And so I think the physical training um, is like the base foundation. And we kind of spoke about that a little bit earlier too. Um, but that, you know, so you need that as your base, but it's the mental training. Like for instance, your first thought, you know, you're like, speak of a, or think of a, high performance, you know, that you've had. And my first thought was like, okay, when I won the world championships, what was going through my mind? Um, I woke up that morning and it sounds really weird. And I don't talk about it much because I don't like to sound arrogant, but I woke up that morning and I knew today's the day I'm going to win. It's, it's like it, it, there the entire day there, like there wasn't doubt that went through my mind 
the entire day. It was just, and it wasn't like an arrogance and it, it was like just this calmness more than anything where I was like, I've put the training in. I know, you know, I know that I'm, my training is solid. I know that my performance is solid. Uh, I'm ready. Like it was this, it was like this readiness. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I feel shaky thinking about this. Uh, it was, yeah, I just, it was this weird thing where I just knew. And then it was like, when I was up, I was like, okay, here we go. Let's go do it. Um, and so it was like an utter absolute confidence. Uh, and to me that obviously it, again, maybe not obviously, I think that comes from the mind because I've had many times. Okay. Another example. Let me just now counter this. Um, another world championships performance in my home backyard, I trained harder than I ever have in my entire life. I'll probably get shaky again. Um, I wanted this so bad and I trained mm, more than I could like even explain like how much I trained for this one. And, uh, I was winning going into the world or going into the finals and, uh, they, they ended up moving the, the event was going faster than, than originally planned. So they moved us up like half an hour or something like that. And I wasn't in the mindset that I was ready to be in. Um, and I, w they were literally calling me. They're like, Nick, you're up. And I'm like, don't even have my gear on yet. And so I'm like rushing and getting, and, and it was just, and then I was flustered. And then I'm like in the editing, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to let this fluster me. Take a deep breath. <sighs> Calm down. I got this. We're good. Um, but still not in the crystal clear mindset that I needed to be in. And then as I drop into the wave, um, my brother-in-law, Dane, who ended up winning, they call out his, uh, his ride because he went right before me in the order and, and his points, um, which was the new high score of the event. And, and literally we're talking fractions of a second before I like hit the wave and start my performance the thought that goes through my mind is you can't beat that. And then I, I literally, the wheels fell off. It fell apart. Like, like it was, I almost can't even explain how it fell apart. Like, it's like I had trained, I had done this routine a gazillion times. Like I could do it in my sleep. I did it in my sleep. I would do it when I'm having breakfast. I would, I would physically do it all day, like this routine that I was doing. And I couldn't even do like my opening trick. And I'm like, what? And then like the whole thing fell apart. And, and then, um, so we get three rides for finals. Uh, and with your best run counts is the way that the format works. Second ride go through. Now I'm like really flustered because I'm like, whoa, my opening ride, which I was like going with like a, yeah, gonna just lay down this ride. It totally didn't work. Um, and then I'm thinking my second ride, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to, now I need to do my second ride. Uh, same thing, total failure, total like fell apart immediately. And now I'm like shakingly, I, it was just this like weird out of body experience where I'm like, I don't even know who I am anymore. It was like, you know, in Harry Potter, when the Dementor comes and like sucks the happiness out of him. That was happening to me, but with not just like my happiness, like my confidence, my confidence had been like sucked out of me. And I, I like got out of my boat and walked up into the woods, um, and just had to like lay down and, and try to get into a meditative state to like rebuild, like, okay, I've got one ride left. I just, I don't even want to win the world championships anymore. I just want to do a ride that I could sign my name to and say like, okay, I at least did that. Do you know what I mean? And that's, that was all I could muster was to tell myself, like, if we could just do a ride that like, I could somewhat say it was a, it was a performance of some sort of caliber. Um, it wasn't my top. It wasn't my best. It wasn't even close, but at least I could sign my name saying like, yeah, I did that. Um, and that was like, I was able to muster that and then go out and kind of pull that off. Um, but man, it was even just like reliving it 
now talking about it. It's, uh, yeah, can yeah, you feel I, it in your body? Oh yeah, it's like it's like hard for me to talk about, it, and I'm like definitely shaking. And and um, I hadn't really thought about the fact that, or certainly never put words to it, that it was like the confidence had been sucked out of me. That it was just like it was a weird, a really surreal feeling. Um, anyway, so those are two drastically different performances. One. Obviously, you know, I win the world championships and I was like, you know, uh, ex- like filled to the brim with utter confidence. It, again, not in like a, an egotistical way, but it just like where I just felt as confident as I could Calm, be. Totally yeah. clear, secure, confident. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one, uh, a lack of for sure. And I really like that you actually just went and lied down because at the point when you're out of your body, essentially, we do need to do as much of like the just freezing and stopping and grounding as we can. And you know what's so hard? You know, I want to get to the next pillar with you on just that second example of the compassionate drive. But um, what is so hard is so many of those elements that were uncontrollable there. You know, how many Mm -hmm. of those elements at the wrong time were happening in this most crucial moment for you? and again, like you said, it's so much easier said than done because we know our best performances will go when when we know we can only be in charge of what's in our control and and really know what could throw us off. But you had just had so many elements that were coming in that were outside of your control, rushing, having this thing called out right before you're going. Like all mm-hmm. of that's gonna kind of really mess in. And you know, it's it's um doing what you kind of did on that last one of of trying to get back into your body and doing some of that but I also I, I think this is I think every performer every athlete will have these massive moments of you know maybe shame or this deep disappointment and just real sadness that it has not gone in the way that I needed and wanted and I don't you know you would not be alone in this example as Definitely much as your heart wanted it, you know? Yeah. And so I also think no matter how much we train these wonderful things, they're incredible. We have to train them. But you know what? Okay, you're still human. Mm-hmm. You, you can't be a robot orchestrating this perfect run every time. And also there are going to be uncontrollables here. So so how do we deal with those? And this is kind of this next part. And, and so my third pillar, this leads into it nicely, is about how do we cultivate an internal positive regard and a compassionate drive to keep going for this highest goal that we want. And here's the thing, predominantly, particularly people with high standards, have come to motivate ourselves through some level of threat. So an example of that is I'm focused on the risk of what if I don't achieve what I know I've and what I know I'm capable of. Mm. What if I don't get it? What if others have these expectations of me that I don't meet? I can't handle training this hard only to be let down again. So I better do well at this. And that's actually our threat system trying to motivate us into action. Like this can't go wrong, so I better get it right. Sounds like a quick way to burn out to me. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And the other thing is we just need to acknowledge for, for high performance, for people with high standards, high achievers, we actually just already tend to be setting higher goals and therefore taking more risks, which also means we are going to be exposing ourselves to increased possibility of failure just by the nature of what we're going for. And so it's really important that we develop this positive sense of self and relationship to ourselves because then we're more likely to be able to going to keep taking risks and keep expanding and self-improving given that we're still going to risk failure. Um, and, and what it does there, and this is the way compassion relates to flow, is we're constantly transforming something from being a major threat to a challenge. It's not a threat, it's a challenge. And that threat state to a challenge state is really critical in flow because we still need something that's going to be a bit risky, like going to get us working hard because it's just above our capacity. Like that's really important in flow. But we need it to not be a major threat. We don't want to layer all this risk of the outcome. When I've got compassionate drive and this sense of self that's full and within myself I can just be there and there's absolutely no risk even if I do fail because I'm enough anyway and I can try for things anyway and I've done my best anyway 
And all humans have failed anyway. But the most important thing is I gave it my best go. And this is like, you know, part of the compassionate drive coming in. Mm. I like that. I like how you said all humans have have failed anyway. Meaning, again, all of anybody that we would ever, um, you know, regard as the highest achievers in life. Again, they're the Michael Jordans of the world. I think uh, Nike actually did an, uh, a commercial with uh, Michael Do- Jordan about like how many shots he missed, how many games he lost, all these things, and through failure is what made him succeed. Um, and it, it, yeah, it just makes me realize that you know, we're, no one is perfect. We're all human. We all make mistakes, and through that, it gives us the opportunity to reflect to learn, to grow, to improve. Um, yeah, that's, it's amazing. There, there was another word in there that you said that, that again, just, um, hit me a little bit when you said that to to have the compassion to tell yourself that you're enough. I'm like, huh, again, easier said than done sometimes. Like, Ah, maybe, maybe this is just a personal, uh, a personal struggle of mine, but, but as, um, I imagine anyone that tries to, I don't even know if I want to, would say that I'm a high achiever, but I would certainly aim for that. Do you know what I mean? Um, when is enough? I don't know, man, gosh. And to be enough, that's like a whole other thing where I'm like, man, Oh, I, I think that's an internal battle that I'm continually having, but yeah. Yeah. I I mean, the question is, when did we ever become not enough? Mm. I mean, was a child, you know, at what point did that switch over that we started questioning that? Because a, a, a child doesn't have those internal yeah. capacities for something. So, and yeah. what I want to say is a lot of the time we don't want to settle for enough. And that's one of the reasons why we're like, oh, it's not enough. Right. But yeah, how can I use still my drive for going and getting and improving and growing, but underneath it, I'm enough regardless. Mm-hmm. And that's such an important kind of um, way. And the other, the reason why this is really related to flow. So in, in flow, you know, we want to have that ability to direct our attention and all of our energy and focus is there. But we also know in the midst of critical moments, as we've just talked about or what I call our choice point moments, we hurt where we care. So it's going to be really easy to get stuck in the point that we missed out on or there's a setback or, you know, I faced this thing that I wished I did differently. So, that's good. you know, if we hurt where we care and something's going wrong, how do I stay in flow? And that's this idea of what if we had this more automatic nature of bringing out and bring us back to compassionate drive that's that's okay and I'm enough so I'm going to keep going at my best here mm-hmm. yeah you 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 said something uh about when we were a child and we just you know had the same goals to do crazy big things um but we always knew we were enough when did that change and it, it you know, I don't have the answer to it but it certainly uh poses some deep thinking because for me as um someone that likes to aim high and continue to aim for more. It's not that I'm looking for enough because that's not my personal drive. My personal drive is to continually reach for my potential. But as you grow, then your potential continues to grow with you, knowing that it's a never ending cycle. It's never, I'm never going to reach it because, you know, is once I reach it, then I'm going to like, or get close, then I'm going to want to reach further because my potential has then grown with it. Um, so for me, it's just a, it, it would be a continual, um, growth path journey, whatever you want to call that. But, but there, the difference though, is that I, I would imagine the same experience as a childhood, but there was always the like, you're enough, or, or at least that was never a question. Do you know what I mean? Like I need, am I enough if I do this? Or at least not that I can reflect upon in this moment. Um, and so when did that change? Huh? It's again, not something that I'm going to answer on this podcast and, and figure it out. It would take some, 
deep thinking and maybe some some yoga meditation but but this is this has been absolutely incredible um i love your three pillars here so to to reflect upon i've been trying to take notes um so first pillar we want to we want to stay grounded be in the moment that's kind of our our foundational pillar um our second one is is almost like um a forked two two-pronged pillar of emotion and purposeful mindset um and please correct me if i'm if i'm uh, saying any of this wrong and then the third one um is compassionate drive uh and being able to kind of like harness the three of those together to have prolonged um i guess high achievement is have i have i kind of summed that up in some sort of uh yeah no you've know. got the three you've got the three pillars really nice and you know we could we could just keep going about that where you know one of the things i really want to hone in on is that idea of exploring how we use threat to motivate action but that high achievement that the bold goals that you want the stuff that you like to grow in these are the pillars that all get us there long term and, mm-hmm. and thrive in yourself as a human while you're doing it. Yeah. 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 You're totally right though. I, I could easily talk with you for hours on this subject. I find it very intriguing and I'm, I'm looking at my clock already and I'm like, you know, where, where does an hour go? Um, I, I have, I, I want to be, um, mindful of your time and, and I'm very thankful. Uh, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do a very, very fast version of this fire round, if you don't mind. And then I'll kind of, uh, I'll let you go. Cause I want you to have an, an amazing day as well. I'm going to do the, the, a couple of my favorites here. Do you have a favorite book or a current book that you might be reading? Yeah. I had a feeling you might answer this. I have the most unsatisfying answer. My favorite book is whatever I'm reading in the moment. And I normally have three on the go anyway. So I, I'll always have some like crime fiction on the go. I normally have something on personal development and I also, I'm Christian, so I'll also have something Bible related, but you know, my other thing that's my favorite thing to read is Google Scholar. (laughs) So I really like to know what's the research. So that's my unsatisfying answer about that one. I love that. I I also very easily get uh, just fall in love with whatever book I'm currently reading. I'm like, this is the best book ever. And I tell everybody and then I read, pick up a new book. And I'm like, no, no, guys, this is the best book ever. Anyway, I love that. Um, if This is one of my favorite questions uh, that I get to ask uh, guests. And, and again, I've just been having such an amazing time with you today. If today was your last day on earth and everything that you've done up to now, um, all of your your talks, your lectures, um, your coaching, everything was to go with you. And all that you were left with was a piece of paper and a pen that you could leave three truths. Three truths could be for your, your friends, your family members, future generations. What might your three truths be? Yeah. What a, um, what a lovely big question. And you know what? I'll probably get mushy about it. So you have to bear with me given that this is quite a big one. Honestly, where I go, and this is, it's funny that it doesn't end up being so much around high, you know, the high performance stuff, but where I go is connection wins over everything. So there's, yeah, there's no point in kind of being your best if your relationships have fallen by the, the wayside. Mm-hmm. So I think my first one is so mushy and stereotypical, but if we can love ourselves and love others, connection wins over everything. So that's the one I would come back to. And I think I have one around like watch your safety button. And what I mean by that is we're going to all want to avoid risk and discomfort, but choose a life worth living, which is what you want to go for, rather than just a life that avoids discomfort. So it's kind of a little bit of like do hard things, go for it, It'll be uncomfortable, but you can do it. And I think that probably comes back to my third thing of what I would tell people or what I would want to leave, which is like, you're more competent than you know. Because, mm. you know, the thing that is really so hard right now, in five years' time, like, you'll be okay. In one year' time, in six months, you'll be, you're more competent than you know. So keep going for the thing. Better to do the thing than to just stay fit all the time. Okay. I love that. 
I love that. Susanna, I have, again, been absolutely loving this conversation. I gained so much value out of it. So something that I try to do with all of my guests um, that come on the show is I try to provide as much value as I can as well. So is there anything that you are currently focusing on that I might be able to help you out with or possibly even my listeners? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, please just come and check me out. I've got my website is kindredthriving.com. And a couple of things, I have a really nice little guide there that talks all about flow and psychological flexibility and how to squeeze the most out of your day. You can download that. But the big value way is to come work with me. I do coaching and um, I've got like a three-month program where I go through these three pillars. And I just love chatting with people who want to figure out some of these ingredients about how to be their best self. Um, and otherwise you can join me for the ride. I'm on Instagram. I've got kindred.thriving um, and come and check it out. But but mostly come work with me. Let's do some stuff. I love that. I will put all the links to your website, Instagram, everything in the show note. Uh, I definitely, I was checking out your website a little bit earlier and, and the free download and everything. So please guys, at least go check out the website, download the free download. It's for free. You guys are going to love it. Uh, and if you guys have gained as much value as I have, please uh, reach out to Susanna. Uh, your coaching, just from what I've gained in this this hour long conversation, I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's so much knowledge that I'm like, yeah, I've, I've personally gained so much. So thank you again so very much. My final question of the day for you is what is your definition of awesome? Oh, what is my definition of awesome? I don't know. I think it's just like, have fun with whatever you're doing. Isn't that the most awesome thing? It is. That is the most awesome thing. Again, thank you so very much for joining me today. I gained so much value out of this conversation. I hope my listeners did as well. If you guys did, please, I ask you if you can share this with someone who might gain some value out of this or who might want to do some training with Susanna themselves. Um, and again, if you guys could leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to these podcasts, it would be greatly appreciated by myself, as well as the fact that it helps us share this out to more like-minded individuals just like you. So thank you guys for doing that. And as always, I'm Nick Troutman signing off, wishing you all a truly awesome day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.